Haruki Murakami once wrote, We each have a special something we can only get at a special time of our life, like a small flame. A careful, fortunate few cherish that flame, nurture it, hold it as a torch to light their way. Well, the podcast today is about that flame. It's about those who cherish it, guard it, and love it, and ultimately keep it burning brightly. And as we all know, that flame gets started by the striking of a single match. Or, in the case of today's show, four matches. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Do you belong to a song? Does it drag you along by the tongue at the top of your lungs? Are you drunk? Have you been drinking? Do you belong the overpass go? With the fifth in your fist reminiscing the kiss of a love that just didn't love as much as you did. But please don't give up, dear ones Don't let the ceiling fall When you belong to a song Salty eyes You belong That is the music of The Matches, a band which featured my guest today on the program, Justin Sansucci. Let me tell you a little bit about Justin Sansucci and the matches, but hang on. Justin's not the only one who's on the show today. He'll be joined by filmmaker Chelsea Christer, whose new documentary, Bleeding Audio, is about the career of the matches. So let's back up a bit and talk about the matches. I'm a Bay Area guy, so I totally remember in the late 90s when this group of kids from Bishop O'Dowd High School in Oakland got things going and started generating a buzz in this community. And Community is the key word here. The Matches found a way to connect with their audience in the most grassroots of ways. They were super accessible to their fans and were even known for playing acoustically before or after shows in the streets outside the clubs. Now, their music was hard to define. If one was feeling lazy, they would say they were pop punk. But they were way more than that. They were operatic. They were idiosyncratic. They were artistic. And they were sonically adventurous in ways that were way ahead of their time. And they were nice people. And that means something. And the matches meant everything to their fans. And they still do. But the matches story is the perfect example of what happens when a rising career, and they were rising fast, by the way, signing with Epitaph, playing the Warp Tour. What happens when that rising career gets derailed by an industry that got destroyed by the sudden accessibility of digital music. Now, the phrase, the sudden accessibility of digital music, sounds like not a very big deal, but it was a huge deal. It started with Napster, it ended with record stores closing. And the in-between? Well, let's just say this. It wasn't pretty. And that's exactly where Chelsea's movie comes in. A loving and intimate look at the match's march towards the mainstream and how that march ended up being a near miss at widespread success, Bleeding Audio redefines what it means to be a success in the music industry, and at the same time, it examines how a legacy, you know, what bands leave behind for their fans, is something that has nothing to do with a price tag. Bleeding Audio is a very singular and very special music documentary 
There's no fistfights or tension or scandal. It's just four really nice dudes playing music until playing music plays itself out. Why it played itself out is something the movie handles beautifully, and you'll have to see it to see what I mean. But, spoiler alert, it has to do with money. Or, more specifically, not making any. And that's the weird thing. They should have been making money. But there's a series of reasons why they weren't, and the movie is a fascinating study of how a band that should have been financially solvent weren't. And at the dawn of their 30s, they were physically tired of living the way they were at the dawn of their 20s. Look, I've seen a lot of music documentaries, and this, by far, is one of the best I've ever seen. It's a very unique, very powerful, and very special movie. I love the matches. I love how Chelsea told their story. And this is a pretty cool conversation. So enjoy it. Here's me and Justin Sansucci and Chelsea Christer having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. the film was completely finished in early 2020 okay. and we technically had our world premiere on uh march 7th 2020 <laughs> yeah everybody does that everybody makes that painful face yeah, I know. Uh, whenever i say that out loud because it was pretty ill-fated you know i started uh pre-production on this in 2014 production started in 2015 production wrapped about 2017 and then post-production started then and we finished at the end got picture lock at the end of 2019 got all the bells and whistles at the early of 2020 and yeah that was our journey <laughs> yeah a lot has changed since then I know there's there's moments where the matches are such an intimate band and my thought was now we're we're sort of post-pandemic in terms of post-understanding of what a pandemic really is in the modern age and I thought everyone's so close together in the audience the band is coming on I thought I thought this is clearly a pre-pandemic footage because <laughs> now you'd say everyone's too close you know oh yeah I mean so our world premiere again March 7th 2020 and I had been dreaming of this day for years obviously and um I had booked like a secret show with the matches at a little brewery around the corner they had like this little makeshift stage I mean barely had a PA uh, Justin can kind of speak to the acoustics of that cement brick, but um, it was a, you know, it was a little surprise show at like what was essentially the peak of the pandemic and we had, you know, like 200 people fill this bar and like go nuts inside this brewery and I'm just sitting here thinking, are we going to be in the news and not in the good way? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, yeah. is everyone being like super spreader event, like world premiere community screening, you know, um, it was, it was intense. I mean, Justin, if you want to speak to that. I, I mean, what, uh, no news is bad news or what is it? No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no yeah, the, 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 the show happened like right at, yeah, right. Like everything shut down like the next day. So we were kind of, yeah, it was a little hairy to have like, all those people and um uh yeah things totally shut down for a long time but um 
I, I definitely have had the opportunity to start kind of going back to some shows and you know you still have a lot of people wearing masks but uh it, it seems people are getting getting back into it pretty much so um you know hopefully we're able to like get shows going again and you know be safe about it um and you know bands are able to tour because so i i mean i i feel really bad for so many of these bands like their entire income is was based almost entirely on touring and yeah. a lot of these bands you know just had to stop touring completely for you know practically two years um but it's 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 looking like a lot of the bands are starting to come out on tour again and so hopefully you know fingers are crossed we all are able to like do do that safely and uh it's it's fun to see live music again even though you know i'm standing in the back with the mask on <laughs> yeah well backing up a bit about the movie i thought the movie was just marvelous and so smart and elegantly done and i've seen a lot of music documentaries in my life and this is one of my favorites for a lot of reasons um but I love how it was bookended, where it was sort of like, why are all these people getting tattoos of our band? And in the end, even the band understands finally, like, oh, right. And it takes that last show for it to come full circle. It's really a beautiful moment. Um, and in the end, that sort of the, them in the street playing, just, just uh, you guys, it, really, it made me, it really choked me up. But I'm curious, Chelsea, when you were doing this, did you kind of like write your way towards the thesis or did you already know that how you were going to bookend the film yeah I mean that's a great question and thank you so much um that just it means the world to me because I put so much into this film and collaborated with so many wonderful storytellers to you know make it give it the biggest impact possible and um for um for just the kind of treatment process is i knew from the start that um i wanted to tell a story that you know told the matches unique um you know career journey while also being able to open it up for um relatability for other bands from the era from any artist who's just trying to follow a crazy dream right and um bring in that kind of b story of this digitizing music industry and the impact it had on artists but uh, what was really interesting was in the editorial process, um, we, you know, kept kind of honing away at things and being like, you know, some of this stuff just isn't really connecting. And it was really because we hadn't picked a central theme for the film. I had so many, I had so many just words up on the wall that to me felt like the core and the heart of the story. And what it really boiled down to was um, community. You know, the matches had always been a community ethos band. Um, I argue that the reason why they were able to endure as long as they have um, is because of that community ethos. But that's also what, you know, bands started adapting into their marketing in the digital era is that if you have a community-based ethos, if you have that connection, you know, you're able to engage your fan base in a way that, you know, you have that one-on-one -on -one connection now digitally that you never had before, you know, which is a very unique tool that can you know sometimes not be great but it can be really powerful and really special for fans and so um when it came to um kind of bookending the film about you know what does success mean but also like what's up with all these tattoos and kind of full circling it with those with those uh fans again was like this you know this permanent mark that bands who give us a home and give us a place like that permanent mark that it gives us, you know, is that like fans of any bands, um, you know, they meet, 
they're people. They find themselves for the first time. It's like just certain types of music and bands that embrace that ethos, like pull these people together, these outsiders. And the Matches were one of those bands that uniquely did that. They like truly made everyone feel like they belonged somewhere, you know, myself included. I feel like that's why I was so always gravitated towards them. And so when we were editing an actual opening scene with the, um, uh, with the friends with the tattoos, mm. I had had a fan reach out to me and she said, hey, this may or may not be interesting to you, but a group of friends and I are getting um, matches tattoos together. And uh, we're gonna do it around this date. If you wanna film it, you know, I don't wanna be presumptuous, but if you do, please like you're invited. And it stuck out so strongly to me. And um, I kind of followed up with them and then got distracted by production. But then I was in post with my first editor, Jen Bradwell, and we had an assembly put together. And it was opening up with this um, dialogue about the band being like, what is the deal with matches tattoos? Like, we don't tattoo ourselves. Why are they doing it? Right. And they just have no idea. And I was like, oh my God, I have a, I have a, like, um, a prelude to this whole story. And I called up the gals and we were, again, like we had just assembled the cut and I called up this, these women and I was like, are you guys still doing the tattoos? And they were like, yeah, we're doing them next week. And I was like, yes. <laughs> you know? And immediately just set up the whole thing and filmed their tattoo session, asked them some questions. And it's, it's like one of my favorite scenes of the whole film because it's just so I mean it just it happened so naturally and it um it was just such a good surprise and it tied into the entire theme of the film you know so yeah I love yeah. how you did it I love it and I love how in the end I can't remember who was saying it they're like oh now I see why the fans are doing this like like the band gets it finally gets it too like oh we Justin can you talk a little bit about that I, I mean that sort of it dawns on everybody in the end of like oh, okay, like, this is, we're important to these people. This is yeah. awesome. I, I think there's, yeah, there's a, a couple of things. I mean, I, I think the, the first thing I think about is like, um, like I, I never had tattoos and then it wasn't until like, you know, the film was put together and like, uh, you know, with the reunion and everything that I actually ended up, me and our guitar player, John, and some of our friends and actually Chelsea as well, we, we got, uh, we we're on tour in Australia and, and ended up actually getting like a matches tattoo. And that's like my, my first tattoo. So it, it's, it's kind of funny where like, um, you know, it's, it's like, I feel like I'm part of, part of the group versus like part of the band, you know? And I, I think, uh, uh, like it's just the same thing like like life life is always just so so messy um but then being able to have like a film where you can like it's kind of been organized and you can kind of like look back at your your own like life and involvement in something then you kind of see that it's like oh it, it wasn't like we were the band and they were the fans it was like we did this thing together and so like it really feels like a group effort versus like trying to be like a band you know trying to be like the biggest band it was always like you know you can't get anywhere without your fans and everybody was like working on this thing together and so like so I, yeah I don't know it's it's kind of like a becomes more of like a group effort than 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 like a band you know you guys reminded me a lot of Op, I, of Op Ivy in the sense that Op Ivy used to bring people up on the stage 
And you guys, you guys were savvy enough at a young age to know that the fans needed to be involved. And so no one felt excluded, you know? And I think that's such a beautiful thing where from start to finish, and, and Chelsea, you really accomplished this, from start to finish, the, the, the fans were included, like, I've loved this band for 10 years, I grew up with them. Um, but they never felt excluded. Whereas like, I mean, not, not, not saying anything bad about Guns N' Roses, but I don't think you feel very inclusive in terms of that community, right? Because it's, it just yeah. feels like there's a massive distance between, and that's fine, that's totally fine. But for the matches, it was their community band from start to finish. I just think that's a, a marvelous quality that you guys had. And kudos to you for recognizing how important that was as teenagers. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, I think it just felt like it just kind of happened naturally because I, I think when we started going to see bands, um, like it was, you know, being able to, I remember, you know, talking with Matt and Sean and, and John and, and, you know, we'd go see bands and it was like the bands that we got to meet and talk to and like have a conversation and talk about music uh, that like really made like an impact on us. And like, those were kind of like the bands that we like would, would, you know, hope to bring, bring that with us as we like kind of move forward is be like, oh, you gotta like, you know, make sure you're a person, like you're not, you know, don't be an, an asshole rock star, you know, like it's, it's really is about like connection and, uh, you know, music, music is like about community and it should be building community. It should be bringing people together. Like, um, like I, I can't really, like, I think music that would like drive people apart would be very, uh, I, like that would just seem so counterintuitive to me. It's just, it would be crazy. Like, you know, it's, yeah, it's about, yeah, bringing people together and like being part of something. So uh, we always kind of work we always gravitated towards, you know, bands that incorporated elements of that. And so we always wanted to kind of make that part of our, our thing. So we always, always focused on that. Chelsea, is there a, a feeling that like you get to tell the story of the matches, which is, which is so cool and also a tremendous responsibility because you love the band so much. Did you feel like there's a lot of weight on my shoulders to do this correctly for the band, for myself, for the community, because they mean so much to you. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, I mean, this is a band that, um, you know, I know was instrumental in kind of getting me out of my own shell as a teenager, you know, and I know so many other people who felt the same way where um, just their kindness, their community, their music, it was just, um, it's just, I just, I know what it meant to a lot of people. And while I had never been a part of the L3 community explicitly, mm -hmm. which was, you know, their, um, their, their Oakland uh, kind of similar to Gilman uh, scene. Yeah. Um, it just, uh, it was just something that I always, I just, oh God, I just wished I had something like that growing up in Colorado, just some, you know, teen, like all ages club that I could go to and just actually find people who felt the same way about the world I did, you know? And, um, yeah, the responsibility was enormous because I wanted to honor each of these guys and, you know, tell their stories as, as human beings, but I also, I know how painful the story can be for them, you know, and it's very difficult to, you know, have people who you care about sit them down and be like, 
cool, let's talk about the biggest mistake of your life. Let's talk about the best times of your life. Now let's talk about the worst times of your life. Like it's not a fun thing to prod out of somebody, but you know, at the same time, I think that my, my goal was really to help, help them like sort and see this in a way that allowed them to see how successful it really was. Because if there's anything that I know is when I, when I became friends with all the matches is it was such a sore spot, you know, they just, they all felt like, like you couldn't really talk about it. It like, there was this outward kind of feeling that it was this failure, that the matches was this failed experiment, you know? And what I really wanted to do with this film was prove to them that they were successful. You know, it wasn't what they had dreamed, but it was something very special and very unique, you know? And so, you know, that meant a lot to me. And it meant a lot to me with fans too, because the truth is that fans um, never really got a clear answer about why the bands broke up. You know, they were visibly, they were at their peak. Everybody thought, oh my God, they're just about to break. And then suddenly they were gone. And um, it was very difficult to have the responsibility of telling that to fans for the first time too. But at the same time, you know, I also knew that I wanted the story to engage a wider audience. You know, my, you know, my humble hope is that we get this massive resurgence of, um, of like matches demands, you know, that people watch the film, not having known the band and suddenly become huge fans. And I just hope that like they're Spotify numbers or whatever just spike, you know, because I want that I want people to find out who they are and love them, you know. And so I took that very seriously too. And so when it came to like structuring a team for the film, I made sure that basically everybody who worked on the film had no idea who the matches were, like from the start. I was like, I will be the source of truth, you know, like I will be able to be like, here's a matches thing, here's a matches thing. This is great, this is great, this needs to be here. Um, and then I would have um collaborators who would push back and be like this is too inside baseball this is like interesting but you're gonna have to justify it you know and it was this whole kind of back and forth that helped me keep the film honest and accessible to just a general public while still being able to give the matches fans what they wanted and honor the matches story um because i know i i sent um a picture lock or close to picture lock cut of the film to the whole band before we officially picture locked and i just said okay guys here it is, <laughs> like, you know, like, let me know what you think. I know it gets a little brutally honest sometimes, but I really want to honor your story. And, um, and yeah, and, you know, there was no pushback. Justin, how was that for you? Was that, was that experience when you, when you first saw it, did it, how did that feel? How did it land with you? Um, it was, it was, it's actually been a really in interesting process. I feel like when I first started you know we first started talking about the film um i was kind of you know pretty lukewarm on it i was like yeah i don't know if you like i don't know if it's you know worth you know if we're worth making a film about and but then also too like part of it was you know uh just like carrying a lot of weight about the band and like how the band like broke up and like you know uh not having the success that we were hoping for um and and so it was you know it, it was also like really emotionally difficult to kind of like dive back into like certain parts of that time of my life and then you know try and talk about it and you know have uh like I mean Ch Chelsea knows probably more about the matches than anybody currently and like you know 
talking to her being able to interview so many people and I mean asking all these questions and like really kind of getting into stuff like it was it was really difficult doing those those interviews um and then I remember when I I saw like a, a first really rough cut it was like it was like really really tough to watch it because it like carried a lot of emotional weight um and then having some time to kind of like process that and think about it and kind of like how the film goes through everything and kind of brings everything back around like I was actually able to like move through a lot of things that I had been kind of stuck on for years so it was it was actually like it was almost like therapy in a way so it was actually for me personally like a very helpful film to like make sense of like this kind of crazy time in my life um so like watching it now it's like a much it's a much more like heartfelt experience and like it makes me like um like really glad that I I had the opportunities that I did and we were we were able to to take it as far as we did and have like the fans that we do have because we like you know obviously there's nothing without you know fans and like I don't know it just feels like realizing that it was this collaborative effort and we're all in it together versus like worrying about my own personal failures <laughs> it was yeah so it was it was it was like this whole arc like you probably could have made a side movie of like my emotional journey through the making of the film like <laughs> <laughs> well there is a moment in the movie where I think the narrative is is something like you know that you were always a very effusive um you know upbeat guy and then one day you weren't um and and one thing I love Chelsea just to back up for one second is that the matches come across as really nice people, like really good guys that you want to know and be friends with. Like nobody seems like a jerk. Everyone's very kind and positive. And then the, the day you wake up and you're not, I'm sure it didn't really, it wasn't really like you woke up one day, right? I'm sure that was building. Um, and the movie obviously didn't have time to get into what that was, but what was building? Was it really the idea of like, life is passing me by and, and I don't have any money? Is that kind of yeah. part of it? I mean, I, yeah, I think, I think a lot of it was like, you know, realizing that I, you know, you, you spend, I don't know, like 10 months on the road traveling in a different city and you really have at least like, I, you know, it's, it's hard to like, have family it's like you miss your family your friends like you you don't really have like a like an anchor the kind of like at least for me that was like kind of a big thing and then and then kind of like extrapolating like what that meant going infinitely into the future you know like um like if you know if you don't have that insane breakthrough success then it's like oh like this is I'm going to just be doing this like until I die and like, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be like, you know, 10 months on the road forever. And, uh, and, you know, that's, that's fun uh, for a while, but I think I got to, I started, as I started kind of getting older um, and I wanted to kind of like, you know, put down roots and like start kind of having my own life, you know, realizing that it would be like, every day would be kind of like a dedication to this band for like uh 
infinitely. <laughs> I don't right. know, I don't know. Yeah, it just it just kind of it kind of seemed I just kind of started spiraling into like you know worst case scenario of like what what you know thirty years in the future would look like, and I just imagined I was you know still going to be living in a van, you know. <laughs> yeah, I understand that, and I think you know the danger was twofold: one, being undervalued, and two, thinking that being undervalued was a normal thing. Yeah, yeah. and if I can. Um, chime in on that like something that uh, I remember in a couple of Justin's interviews um, you know just with a little um, uh, just anonymity here is like he he would observe like these other bands who were like 10 years into his future right and they were some of them were paying alimony some of them were paying like child support and like and the only way they could pay those things was like being on tour which was being away from their family which is probably what caused the divorce and like you know and paying for child support with like kids that they couldn't you know like actually hang out with or be around you know what I mean and it's like I mean I know that that's like posturing a lot but it's like you witness all these people who are like who tried building lives who like are now in the same living conditions that Justin's in 10 years their junior and it's like you know, he's not like, I just, I just remember Justin telling me this in one of his interviews and just being like, he, he was just seeing that as like the path that he was going down in a way, you know, where it's just like, is this like the only hope at having a future having, you know, are my roots going to be on the road forever? And are people just going to grow, like grow and move on without me, you know? And like, I know a lot of the band members that I spoke with have had the same trepidations, had the same observations where it was like, oh, you know, we're, touring with these guys who are you know nearing 45 50 and they live in a van the same way we do is that really is that really the future that we want and it's like and the thing is is that um you know the pushback that I think a lot of bands get is well that's just part of the dues that you have to pay and like that's just part of the life is like you got to be on the road it's great it's fun you're so lucky that you should be doing this but it's like you know if we think about it like music is the soundtrack for our lives like music is so critical in in like the consumption that we have as consumers like it is a it is a thing that like gets us through our days we listen to our exercising we listen to our waking up in the morning before we go to sleep like like music is so critical, but like ever since the digital era, we just have this entitlement to to its access. And we don't necessarily think about how our artists are able to make that music anymore, you know? And while like the democratization of music has allowed more artists to make their own music without, you know, a producer or without like a recording studio, which is, you know, which is great in a lot of ways and not great in others, but you know, that's a different conversation. The truth is, is that like, you know, artists should be paid for their work. Like it just doesn't feel like a, like it should be that crazy of a concept. And like, if a band is doing well enough to be able to tour across the country, they should be able to feed themselves. They should be able to pay for housing. They should be able to live comfortably on the road. And um, I think a lot of people don't, don't give, uh, don't give give that luxury to bands or feel like um bands who desire that luxury are somehow entitled or spoiled and that's like an unfortunate disconnect that um i think consumers and 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 musicians have and that's something that i did really want to dispel with this because i know when you know when i would talk to just any layman's person who doesn't involve themselves with the music industry 
And I'd kind of start detailing to them how it works. They'd be like, wow, I had no idea. Yep. You know, I just figured they're signed. They're doing great. And I'm like, no, like, in fact, if they're signed, they're just in debt. (laughs) Right. That's what's really happening, you know? Um, Right. Yeah. Well, and it's also, it would be very dangerous for an artist to, like I was saying, to feel comfortable being existing marginally. Right. And I think that, Justin, you were the first one to realize, like, in your band, like, you know, or at least articulate it, like, to have been future blind would have been a, an egregious career error, right? Because you would still yeah. be in a van doing whatever. I mean, and so I think that was an incredible realization that you had. I mean, I had mine five years ago and I'm 51. So, so you had yours earlier than I did, but still, was it agonizing for you? Were, were you chewing on that for a long time before you finally stepped forward and said, look, I can't do this? Yeah, it definitely, it, it took a long time to like, process that and then uh, like in a a really kind of like ate me up inside Um, I think it made me you know it started kind of making me feel like pretty bitter um, and resentful Uh, which you know it sucks because you know you're on the tour you know you're on tour with your your best friends and you get you're playing music and like to the only thing you can think about is just making you feel resentful and bitter it's just like you know it it is it really becomes like an unhealthy place to to kind of exist and so like like I I just remember like yeah getting to the point of just like 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 physically being ill and like you know having trouble eating and like just like such crazy anxiety and stress and like uh and then finally when I was like okay I, I I can't I can't do this anymore. Like, like, uh, what, like at that point, it like letting it out and moving past it, like really felt like really like was a huge weight off my shoulders, but then it was like this whole, but then it was, you know, then you start feeling like, Oh, now I'm letting everybody down. And like, also like now I have to like try and figure out a whole new direction for my, my uh my life and so there's like all these other things to worry about but I, I i definitely feel like at the time it was the right the right decision but yeah it was it was definitely like uh like a, a big emotional like thing to get through went back to clean my closet out folks finally decided to try and sell the house and the fans on all my shirts had all since broken up or adopted a more commercial sound. I can't blame them, I guess. Still it threw me in the trash. Don't you ever wish our channels One by 
strip mall after his other kid Some kid with a million hits Whose name I forget like for you when you stepped away from the band and did you have any regrets about it or did it feel like this was the self-preserving move I had to make yeah it definitely it definitely felt like I like I had I had to at that time like it was I couldn't I couldn't do it any longer um and I just remember uh because we kind of had talked about it and I was like we either need to take like uh like an extended break like we need to take some like serious time off or like I just I just can't do it anymore and like the way the band had been structured and the way we were kind of like basically living tour the tour it was like everybody else in the band was like well we can't stop doing the band we can't stop touring like the second we stopped touring like it all falls apart so they felt that they had to keep touring so and I wasn't going to tour for a while <laughs> So yeah. I, it was kind of one of the things where they were like, well, they, they, 
you know, we kind of reached a, an agreement where they're like, yeah, we're just going to have to keep touring if we're going to like, you know, keep giving this a try. Uh, and then I had to kind of figure out my own thing. So, um, yeah. And, and then, and then for me, like, uh, I think we, I played my last show with the band. I think we had finished up the tour. I think we did like, a like a, like a local show. And then I think like two weeks later, I was like, I jumped into community college and it was just like, you know, flipped, flipped, uh, 180 degrees. Um, and when I was actually, I was, uh, I, I started at Laney. So hmm. I went to Laney college for a year. Um, and, and that was, that was great. Cause then, you know, I'm not, it was, yeah, it was, you know, going from like rock star <laughs> living on the road to like, you know, being a college student and like doing homework and like, uh, you know, I got, uh, a job at like an art store. So it was just like a real, like kind of scraping by existence and it, but it was like it was kind of like the reset I needed and a brave one because going to like civilian life is like yeah. you know like working in an art store and doing homework is not like playing the warp tour and right yeah it's like you're thinking like oh like you know I could have I could I could be playing you know I could be on tour playing with all these bands I could be on warp tour but you know I'm like oh well I gotta write this essay you know it's, <laughs> it's kind of like but I, I think it also like um yeah and I mean at the at the time uh it was definitely like what I needed and I think like I I actually like put all my music gear I kind of like hid it away and kind of like put it in the closet and I don't think I looked at it for like two years like it took a while before I could like come back around to it um but yeah it was it was kind of like a like a like a, it was like a whole different life <laughs> yeah for sure uh it's like putting away the the superhero cape and right Par yeah. parking the the batmobile deep in the garage um yeah. but chelsea when when it comes down to the to the reunion at the end the reunion shows um, which I, I love that part it's so it's such a, a great section of the film um it seems as though there never was a question that Justin was going to play, right? Like that, that was never, you, there was never like, well, I don't know, but you were, you were always in. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was like, when we, we had kind of come back and uh, talked about it again. Uh, yeah. I was, I was always in and, and like, um, even, even after I, I left the band, like we I would still, you know, I, I kind of took a step back pretty pretty full on for about like a year um but I you know so we all stayed friends and then like I think like a couple years later we were you know after the, the the rest of the band kind of broke up like um like since you know we had incorporated all this stuff and like business stuff and paperwork and all these things so like I was still um like involved in like uh business decisions that started you know becoming more important or not more important but like paperwork that needed to be taken care of that hadn't been taken care of for yeah. you know the 10 years prior so like as we kind of started moving into like the that next phase of the band of like trying to like clean up our our uh you know <laughs> our taxes and paperwork and stuff uh like I was we we're I was involved in a lot of those uh decisions and stuff and then that that kind of like led into um you know talking about uh, playing more shows and that was I don't know how that would have been you know five or six years after 
uh, we had, I had left the band. Chelsea, I thought you just, it's such a skillful documentary and it's beautifully done. But one thing I thought you handled so brilliantly was how Miles screwed up so bad, right? It's Miles, right? Okay. And at first you're, you go, oh, I've seen this story before. This is the Lou Adler. This is like the guy, who, like Leonard Cohen's manager who's been siphoning money off this poor guy for years without him knowing. Um, and it's this amazing moment where I can't remember who says it. Maybe it was Sam, maybe it was somebody else where it said like, well, he could have been, he could have been making money had he done, had he registered the songs. So it wasn't like he was knowingly screwing the band because he, he was screwing everybody, including himself, right? Um, and I thought it was really amazing that moment where the finger pointing was really, um, it was not a, it was not a finger pointing moment. It was like, hey, this was just a terribly stupid oversight, one. And two, you know, you, you say that Sean had a lot of respect for him. And so that must have been a devastating moment for him. And in the movie, that that moment just sits there and it's just utterly devastating. You know, we structured that moment that way, um, largely because that's exactly who the matches are, is like they take a lot of responsibility, you know, and like they, you know, they manage their band like a family and a little less like a business, you know, and that yeah. is like kind of where the um, where having a community centered ethos can cause a little bit of trouble, you know, is that if you, if you don't have the people who are um, responsible for your business, managing your business well, then, and you don't fire them, bring in somebody else, then it's kind of your responsibility too, you know? And that's kind of the vibe that I got from a lot of the matches. And while, you know, there's a, a lot to this story that we, um, you know, kept, kept out of the film, it's largely because this was about the matches and their journey. And we didn't want to sully it with all the maybe bad decisions that, um, that they made behind the scenes. You know, it was really about, um, you know, bad business decisions. You know, it was really about like, hey, like this is this band, this was their, um, their dream. And, you know, this is, one, this is one of the things that held them back. And, you know, and I think the tricky thing about the song registration is like, there's no way of truly saying how much money was lost. Um, but, you know, as Matt says in the film, like at least six years, if not seven years worth of income. Um, and whatever that income was, it's hard to say because the income would have been from CD sales. It would have been from Radio Play in Australia, you know, and streaming wasn't really a thing yet, but it would have been, you know, from that too. So it's really hard to say, but it is, um, yeah, it was a, it was a bummer. <laughs> but there, there was nothing, there was nothing craven about it, right? It was just a, it was just a, an oversight, a mistake. It, there was nothing, there was nothing evil behind it. It was just a ignorance, not knowing. Yeah, it wasn't like I. I think at different times we we you know you you go through different emotions and try and point blame, but you 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 realize that you know we all we all kind of messed up certain as, aspects of it, um, and you know a lot of it was you could just chalk it up to like inexperience, mm -hmm. um, and and just you know I think I think at at times like 
um, kind of towards the peak, like, you know, we, we were still just that like core group. Um, and like, it's, it started kind of getting bigger, but we just really didn't have the money to like invest in any infrastructure or any way to like, uh, manage it, like as it got bigger. And like, I think, uh, uh, Miles was, uh, definitely overwhelmed as well for, you know, himself trying to like make sense of everything. So, um, like, I, yeah, I, I don't think there was any malicious intent as like the manager, you know, stealing the money and running away with it. Cause you know, there, there really wasn't any money to steal. <laughs> right. Right. But, it, but in true matches fashion, going with what Chelsea was saying, I think Matt even says like, well, but if it wasn't for him in the end, there wouldn't have, right. Which I thought was incredibly gracious given all that had been missed. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, it's always, you know, you got the, the, you know, the sweet, the sweet and sour. And so like, you know, you gotta, you, you know, even, even if, if, um, you know, a relationship goes sideways, you still have to, uh, appreciate like the good things that came out of it. And, you know, you, you, you gotta, for the, you know, being along for the journey, you know, you gotta have a, a certain amount of respect for, you know, uh, you know make you know get it taking the journey as far as as we did you know and like he he invested a lot of time but you know, it wasn't it wasn't perfect and we you know parted ways uh you know not on the best terms but you know we gotta at least give him the credit he deserves you know so no one's really in touch with him anymore he's not a part of the uh no we i have i don't think i've i haven't been in touch with him for for years i don't since probably yeah since the end of the band for me mm. personally there's a, a really great moment where and i did sorry to interrupt i did want to say we did reach out to him to interview for the film and he declined to interview so um and uh but he he essentially just wanted to give the platform to the guys so yeah 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 and it's hard i would imagine he feels bad i mean because again there was nothing he wasn't trying to do it on purpose it was just ignorance and exuberance probably a, a cocktail of that that mixture um chelsea i thought the moment the pink floyd moment was such a powerful secondary thesis to the film because if you look at the the progression from the first album all the way to the third let's say artistically it's an incredible leap in terms of um just art sheer artistic progression um but what they're saying about, look how long it took Pink Floyd to make Dark Side of the Moon. It made me think like, yeah, the matches were such an artistic band, which I'll really get to in a second. Uh, but it also made me think like album eight or nine <laughs> would have been the, 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 the sort of the, the, the kind of the subtext is that would have been the Dark Side of the Moon opportunity. And it made me really sad for the matches, but it also made me sad for bands that are forming right now in garages all over the world. Uh, Cause it makes me think like they're not going to get that opportunity. And I thought that moment was just kind of crushing. Um, I'm so glad you put that in the movie though as heartbreaking and painful as it was. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, so that came from an interview with Eric Valentine who is a legendary producer in his own right and just an incredible like just super intelligent music, you know, personal historian, just artist. I mean, just Eric Valentine is an amazing human and I'm so 
grateful that he uh, interviewed for our film. Um, I know he was very eager to sign the matches himself and might still be a little bummed he didn't. <laughs> um, but uh, but he, he and I, when we were talking during the interview, we talked a lot about um, what it means that music no longer is like a financially viable product, right? And we talked about what the repercussions of that are as consumers, right? And what, what it means for us is that um, labels have less money to invest in, um, in artist development, right? Like the A&R department just shoop, gone. And the thing that I feel like a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of bands just don't come out fully formed. You know, they're artists. It takes time to develop, experiment, try, find their sounds, find things. And a lot of that just takes money, you know? And um, in the world that Pink Floyd lived in, you know, that investment often had a return. You know, there was, uh, there, was, there was a record and you would spend a fortune on it and then it would sell all these other records and they, they would get, you know, these labels would get their money back. But now that um, a, a singular record is one, not really listened to as a full complete art form anymore. I know that some people still listen to records, myself included, but like a lot of people just listen to singles, you know? Um, and um, and a, a record doesn't really have a return on investment as much anymore. You have to make money from everything but the music. And so, so many record labels now are no longer investing in producers to develop talent, are no longer investing, you know, in, in a lot of things that they used to invest in. And it's not anything against the labels, it's that the labels don't have the budgets and right. it's because people don't buy music, you know? And so what a lot of labels have to do is they have to let these bands go off and like build their own audiences and like be a sure thing. And then they can just lift it up instead of saying, oh, hey, this is great. Let's try this. You know, there's like no longer this like, um, I'm realizing that this is not a video thing. So, you know, oh, hey, this is great. Let's lift it up further. You know, let's develop it. Let's see what we can do with these artists. Let's like introduce them to other artists who can maybe open up their ability and like make it bigger. And um, that that whole thing is just so rare now. And when it does happen, they want a safe bet. They want a safe investment. And so then we get a lot of the same stuff. And I don't want to sound like, you know, one of these... <laughs> you know, one of these pessimists about music today. And, you know, I think there's a lot of really cool and great music happening today, but I also think that it's not in the mainstream and it's not, um, I think a lot of it is happening on the fringes and a lot of it is stuff that has to be discovered. And, um, you know, the matches were probably ahead of their time in that regard, being one of those fringe bands that were kind of doing this cool creative thing on a low budget on an indie scale. But like, I mean, you think about um, bands that are, you know, super creative, like the Matches or any of these bands that are happening today that are super creative and interesting and what, what that eighth record would sound like if it had an investment, you know? And it's like that just, I mean, the people who lose out the most on this, I don't think are the bands anymore because a lot of the bands are enabling themselves and are developing themselves in a way that's really interesting. Um, I think it's the consumers. I think it's fans. I think it's fans who are missing out, you know? And I think that's the thing that's, that's the ha most heartbreaking thing is like, sure, let's have, let's have bands, you know, make a final financial return on their art. But really it's like, we're missing out on an entire new culture of music because we're not, we as consumers aren't investing in it, you know? Yeah. And I think you're totally right. I think you nailed it. And I think that a band that Matches, matches toured with like Biffy Clyro is a really good example of a band. 
I didn't even know you guys toured with them, but a great example of a band that who are on their eighth or ninth album and they've they've been hitting their dark side of the moon for their last four or five albums. They've been so um, adventurous and innovative and and just they keep getting more and more brilliant. But Biffy are the only ones I can think of offhand that are in that position. And I think matches have more in common with Biffy and maybe Coheed than with Blink-182. It seemed like there was a lot more um, spreading of the wings in terms of um, artistically taking really interesting chances like Biffy does. And Biffy is one of those few bands that have been like, they're like, to me, there are modern day Pink Floyd in my humble estimation. I just love them so much. And they love matches, which made me really happy. And I didn't know about that connection. Um, but they're the only example I can think of a band that has been allowed to make an eighth and ninth album. I don't know, Justin, if you're, what your take is on that. Oh uh, yeah. Like I, I, I love Biffy and like great guys and like, yeah, I think, I think what, I think what happens um, is, is like you, you, you have to reach a certain level uh, as far as a band goes. And like the, the thing about like Biffy is like, um, I think by the time they, they had like two or three records that did pretty well. Yeah. And then their, their fourth record just like really blew up. Um, and then they were able to kind of like take that success and then like continually build on it and reinvest. And I think they, they have been able to continually challenge themselves and have that opportunity to spend the time in the studio, work with the producers, have, be able to take the time off of touring to invest in, in writing. And, and I, I, I think it's, it's building on top of their past success that like they're able to give themselves the opportunity to grow and to challenge themselves. Um, and, and I, I think it's, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think they put out their, maybe the other eighth, eighth record or ninth record and yeah it's 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 awesome i'm always waiting for like the next the next biffy record um yeah and, they're great and, yeah and and um and it's it's i think it's interesting too because it they're they're like a little bit like back in the in the u.s here they're like a little bit smaller of a, a band in the u.s and but you know other places they're they're massive um so I, yeah I don't know I, I yeah I think it I think it just comes down to that they were able to kind of like get over that threshold where they're able to kind of like give themselves the room to to continue to grow um versus you know if uh like like I think like Pink Floyd could spend you know they could go into a studio for six months and work on a record and like I don't know like I've never spent I think if you took all three records and all the recording I ever did never, you know, probably didn't add up, you know, didn't add up the six months. Like, you know, we go in for like a day or two here and a day or two there. And it was just always kind of like, you know, you're, I always felt like we we're kind of like scraping by to like, you know, you know, take like a half written song and be like, all right, here we go. This is, this is a, uh, we got, you know, two days in the studio to make this work. So, um, I, but you know, we would like, honestly, like, uh, while we were touring, it would have been impossible to take six months off of touring to sit down and, and write a record and record it. Um, and I, I think we would have had to, you know, had to, you know, probably had, you know, a pretty huge breakout record 
um, and have a really successful tour to be able to like take that time off to like, you know, reflect and, and like build on top of like what we'd already accomplished. So yeah, I, I think it is. Yeah. But I mean, that said, I think your second and third album feel like the ninth and 10th album for most bands. Like, I think you were moving artistically at the speed of light and it's hard, right? I mean, it's hard to say like, what would have happened? Thank you. I agree. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I like, wholeheartedly well, agree. I mean, most bands, like their second album doesn't sound like that. And the third album does not sound like that. So the things that you were doing make me think like, wow, like what, what could have happened next? And we, and we don't, we don't really know. Um, I love that moment where I can't remember who says it where with the reunion where it's so like, I know, I know who that was. I know what he smells like. I know that guy's smell. And it made me think like, you guys are bonded for life. Like you, you really are a kind of, there's such a fraternity um, a, and a brotherly love between you guys. Is, are you in touch all the time? Is everybody, is everybody, everybody's sort of talking and. Uh, I mean, we're all, we're all in contact. Um, like I, you know, I text text Sean every so often you know I'm in contact with Matt Matt's been Matt's been super busy because he actually just uh he had graduated law school and so he's been like taking like trying to you know passing the working on taking the bar and so he's been like the last couple of years he's just been like crazy busy um and then and then John John I probably see the most um he we we usually you know at least hang out every couple of months and stuff and and text regularly and stuff so like we're all in, we're all in contact um but i i don't i haven't seen uh sean or matt in in uh quite a while i don't think i've seen matt since since uh we played the the sh the, the show in 2020 yeah yeah it's interesting to look at the movie and then reverse engineer a little bit because Sean um, has been crushing it. I mean, he did win the yeah. Talcott, right? I mean, it's like- Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And if you look at what he's done, um, you know, illustrating for for um, Malloy or for Eggers or, and then his own book, which is so good. And winning the Caldecott is no joke. And his career as an illustrator and an author, um, I mean, is, is remarkable, but but reverse engineering and looking at Chelsea's film and seeing the art that was coming out when you guys were teenagers, um, when you were at O'Dowd, it's like from both of you, I mean, you're both incredible artists. Um, what a secret weapon to have for that band early on. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it definitely helped us because we were able to kind of just do everything on our own. Like we never, and, and this, you know, cur you know, curse and a blessing too, because, you know, you think about like, uh, like a lot of bands will, you know, find outside collaborators or like work with other people and th that can have, you know, an influence um, in, its, in its own way. But like, we always just kind of did everything ourselves. So it was kind of like, it was nice that we could keep everything internal, like from, you know, uh, merch designs to posters designs to, you know, logos and websites and everything. We pretty much just made ourselves which is you know hindsight kind of crazy yeah for being so young but it but it's sort of it's in terms of iconography and look it's completely consistent yeah and are you working in graphic arts right now are you are you yeah i do i'm uh i'm like a, a concept artist at a, a mobile game studio so 
doing like design work and uh as well as like production art for for mobile games well you guys crushed it as the matches but you're also crushing it in your careers like you're very successful <laughs> people you know um it makes me think that that you could do anything it's like it does you know there's such a um and that's why this is a great document of who you are as people let alone as a band and i think that's a, a great thing and and um and chelsea you just you just knocked it out of the park. You did such a beautiful Aww. job of of documenting who these guys are and who the band was, and it, they still feel really vital and alive to me. And it's just they were in such good hands with you. And and congratulations on on a beautiful job. Oh, thank you so much. That means so much to me. And yeah, I, the joke I kind of make is like you know the matches all landed on four feet with like cats with nine lives after the band you know which is yeah. like a testament to them as people just driven creatives um but also you know I, I think it it has to be said that a lot of bands who you know have the same fallout that the matches did don't have plan b's don't have the support or infrastructure to to have that kind of success after the band and that's like, you know, a part of the music population that I just don't want people to forget, you know, and why it's so important to me to like try and, you know, pull back the curtain a bit more and, and have, um, you know, fans get a better and deeper understanding of, you know, the enormous effort that bands go through in order to make their music and how um, it doesn't always yield financial success and, and just, you know, causes them to have to break up, you know, so that's, that's kind of been a big a big part of this process for me too is just getting a better understanding as a fan and wanting to go out and support the bands that I love, you know, 10 times more than I ever thought, you know, I would before. So, yeah. Yeah. And there's a beautiful moment in the end. I think, I'm not sure if, if Justin, if you're the one who says it, where it's like, oh, this made me redefine what I think of as success. Right. Was that, was that you who said that? Yeah, I think, I, I think I did. Yeah. Yeah, we're sort of like success is that you did this thing and it means something to people and how much it means to them starts to mean something to you. And it's it's that's such a cool thing to it's a great it's a great attitude and it's very true. Um yeah. Chelsea, yeah, right? I mean it's it's so you recontextualize yeah, yeah. success. Yeah, like I, I I do think like sometimes you're you're on a journey and you you're trying to get somewhere and you like and it and it does kind of blind you to how far you have come and like you know, you can, it's good to like, sometimes like stop and like, look back and, you know, see that, oh, like, you know, I did, you know, we've been climbing this mountain, you know, for the last seven years, and it's been like this huge struggle. And, you know, the the top of the mountain is still so far away, but, you know, you can stop there and you can sit down and enjoy the view and be like, you know what, we, we got, we, we climbed pretty darn high. Like this is pretty, this is pretty good. So you know you can appreciate the accomplishments that you do make, and you know sometimes it's you know you realize that you know the 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 top of the mountain maybe isn't the 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 only place you're you're gonna go. You know, um, Chelsea, uh, your next project. What are you what are you working on these days? Well, um, I have been doing a lot of writing because the kind of interesting thing about me is that uh, I. I'm traditionally a scripted like writer director and uh so documentary was a new venture for me even though it is now officially my first feature film um and uh for me I've been doing a lot of writing I uh wrote a pilot that I'm actually really excited about and um I am writing a couple of features that you know 
the features kind of loosely tie into the music industry and just fill in some gaps to music stories that um, were told to me by um, by very generous people in the in the film um, that I just felt like deserved more of a platform and more exploration. So, um, so yeah, I I'm I'm looking into what's next and whether it's going to be another feature, a TV show, or short films. You know, we'll see. But um, it's been it's been really fun to kind of start moving forward into a different project because the ble uh, bleeding audio has been in my life for a long time. Yeah. So I'm very excited for what's next. And Justin, I apologize for even asking you this, I, but I feel like I have to, because I feel like I'm curious, but the door is open for the matches to play again in the future someday. I mean, possibly. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we, we all, um, we all want to, um, and I, I definitely want to, um, uh, I think current currently, I know Sean just started a new book, so he has like, you know, the next, I don't know, maybe through the end of this year is is pretty much blocked out for him. Um, and I think Matt Matt is wrapping up all all his his work stuff. Um, so it's it's kind of like we're we're all we've all kind of talked about it, um, and we're hoping for shows that we'll, for we all want to do shows in the future, but we don't really have anything um, on nothing in the books, I guess, is what, what you'd say, but I, I would, I would say, um, you know, hope, hopefully, like, you know, maybe, you know, crazy to say 2023, or, you know, something would hopefully be able to, you know, play some shows. Yeah, and it's cool to be able to do it on your own terms. I yeah. think that's so cool, you know? Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful film. I loved it. Like I said, I've seen so many documentaries about music and this one shot right to the top for me. I just, being a Bay Area guy too, it really um, meant a lot to me. And I, I just, congratulations on a remarkable film and a, a job well done, Chelsea. Thank you so much. It means the world to me. When you put this much time into something that just, it really means a lot. So thank you. Yeah, I can't wait to see what you do next. And Justin, I love your band and I'm glad we got a chance to chat and, and uh, I'm glad it's your, your band is preserved, your legacy is preserved in such a beautiful way. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, this chat's been wonderful. So thank you. I totally forgot to tell you guys that Justin is the bass player of the matches. How did I forget that? Uh, great conversation. Thanks to Justin and Chelsea. Do see this movie. It is fantastic. Bleeding-audio.com will help you track down ways to see the movie. There's also news on there, and there's a store where you can buy some cool stuff. Thematches.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with the band. Anytime there's news, it'll show up there. Do pick up their music. It is remarkable. AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. Also, not that much at the moment. Uh, BombshellRadio.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with our radio station. All these places to go for information. Follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor. Follow me on Instagram at Ember's Podcast. Or just email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate, and review. 
and tell every single person you know about our podcast. So bossy, let's close the show with a longer listen to Salty Eyes by The Matches. Enjoy it, and thank you as always for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio. Tongue at the top of your lungs Are you drunk? Have you been drinking? Do you love the Pasco With the fifth in your fist Reminiscing the kiss of a love That just didn't love As much as you did But please don't give up Yeah.